W-P-H-A-T. You're listening to the number one health and wellness podcast, the place where health and consciousness connect perfectly, perfectly healthy, healthy and tone, tone radio, radio, radio with your host, Darren McDuffie. And now prepare to get fat. What's up, peeps, and welcome back to another episode of Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. I'm your show host, Darren McDuffie, alias Fat Man, because I help you become perfectly healthy and toned and conscious. Today's episode is with Stephanie Keto Person. We're talking about the ketogenic diet. Gotta say, this is probably one of my best interviews. Really love talking with Stephanie, and she's very passionate about what she does, and it comes through in this interview. We're talking about the do's and don'ts of the ketogenic diet, which is a diet that has become really popular. I've actually talked about in another episode with Julia Ross on a mood cure and she was a proponent of this diet. There's a certain way that you have to do this diet and you will find out exactly what you'll need to do to be successful in integrating fat into your diet and getting those ketones up as Stephanie talks about. But before I get into that, just wanted to give you a few simple reminders. If you are listening to this on iTunes, I would appreciate it. I really would appreciate it if you can leave a review in iTunes. It helps me out a whole lot. If you're listening to it on Blog Talk Radio, please leave me a message on the episode. You can go down, scroll down to the bottom of the episode and leave a message there. If there's someone you want to see on the podcast, please email me at darren at perfectlyhealthyandtone.com. That's darren, D-A-R-R-E-N at perfectlyhealthyandtone.com. So let's get into Stephanie's bio. Stephanie Person's ketogenic diet expertise is completely self-taught. After Stephanie's mother was diagnosed with a cancerous brain tumor, she was given six months to live. This prompted Stephanie to take an aggressive approach to finding ways to slow cancer growth. She dramatically reduced her mother's carbohydrate intake and raised her dietary fats exponentially. Her mother is now in her seventh year of being cancer-free. After success with her mom, Stephanie began applying nutritional ketosis principles on herself. She was able to successfully maintain ketosis and enjoy the health improvements it produced. She has since trained others on implementing nutritional ketosis principles and seeing the benefits it provides. Here's what you're going to learn on this podcast and really pay attention. Stephanie is really animated, really entertaining, and you're going to enjoy the show. So the first thing is, why do we look for quick fix diets? Everyone is looking for that quick fix, and we discussed that on this podcast. How do you start appreciating your body? Really good explanation again here from Stephanie. She's worked with people from fitness, all kind of realms of nutrition, and she gives a great answer. What are the pitfalls of the ketogenic diet? People are looking to go to this diet for that quick weight loss, but they don't know what to expect. How much fat is too much fat on keto? One of the things about the ketogenic diet is people are taught to eat more fat. But I asked the question on this podcast of how much fat is too much fat. And then the last thing is, why should we eat more organ meats? The answer may surprise you. And Stephanie goes into the history of this and why we should start incorporating more organ meats into our diet. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Stephanie Keto, welcome to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. How are you this evening? I am Awesome, Darren. How you doing? I'm doing great. You have a lot of energy. I watch a lot of your YouTube videos as we were talking about before we came on and I feel like I know you. I feel like I know your story. We have some similarities, but what I normally do when I have someone on as a guest is just ask them 
how they got started, how they got into health, and what propelled them to start doing what they're doing now. Okay, so do you want me to be uh, strictly about keto or, or about health in general? Just whatever. Just how did you get into this? I know from your background, it's like we have a similarity where your mom had cancer, my mom had cancer, but she passed away. So talk a little bit about that and how that kind of propelled you into doing what you're doing now. Okay, so I'll go straight into the keto reality because I've been doing health and, and being healthy for a while beyond keto. But when I first started, it was because my mom had a glioblastoma, which is the most aggressive brain cancer. Now, I had heard of keto before through the bodybuilder community. So this is just about 10 years or even more 11 years ago. And I'm very surprising now that people are just starting to really get into keto because I heard about it a long time ago. And my mom was diagnosed and they gave her about six months to live. So of course, my brother and I went crazy on the internet trying to find ways to stop or slow down cancer growth. Well, my brother was correct with a lot of concepts, but also I was with thinking of a ketogenic protocol. So he laid on like, let's clean out our cabinets. Let's get rid of the sugar. Let's take all the toxins out. And she was pretty much on a vegetarian diet, no, vegan diet, the little bit of, um, uh, um, no, he had her eating fruits and he had her eating vegetables. And I was like, whoa, we need the upper fat and, and bring back healthy protein. Okay. So the first half was my brother coming in. And the second half was me kind of cleaning, cleaning it up with a ketogenic concept. And so I started to call her every day and say, you need to eat fat. We need to add fat. We need to do this. We need to do that. And then I started to also do keto because I wanted to do it with her so I could kind of go through the same experience so she wouldn't feel like she has to clean out all these things, but I can eat whatever I want. So that's initially how I started getting into keto and applying it to my mom. And also I had personal training clients at the time that I had applied it all onto them all at the same time. Mm -hmm. You were a skateboarder and you, you did that and you had, what, 10 knee surgeries? Yes. Were yes. you, was fitness, were you into fitness before you were skateboarding or did fitness become second as a way to kind of overcome those injuries? Well, I didn't, or I was not into traditional fitness because I had no clue, but I, I've always been an athlete. So in that regard, I was into fitness and I really pretty much got into the traditional aspects of fitness, like going to the gym and these concepts after I destroyed my knee after these surgeries. That's when I really got into learning more about the body itself because if you do a bicep curl, you're gonna release growth hormone that's gonna help fix my busted knee. So that really rang strong in my head that if I use my entire body, it's gonna help repair the knee. So going back to your personal training clients and going back to your fitness background, I know my background is rooted in pharmaceuticals and then I became a trainer myself. And one of the things I remember with me is I would take this cooler around with me and I was obsessed with eating. I had to eat six times a day because I really wanted to get lean. Were you doing that and how did you switch your mindset to go more towards what we're going to be talking about, which is the ketogenic diet? Because I, from what I understand from the ketogenic diet is that People aren't eating five to six meals a day. So Correct. how did you, were you ever in that phase where you were taking around these the Tupperware and the cooler and eating six times a day? And how did you 
go from that and how did you get your clients to, to go from that who eventually were uh, going towards the ketogenic diet? Well, I would say that I'm a person who's an autodidact and that's a person who learns just by observation and experience. And so in a sort of autodidact context, I always felt that eating six times a day was kind of weird. So I wasn't consciously trying to create a schedule of eating a little bit of, you know, chicken breast with some rice and blah, 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 and doing that six times a day. So no, I did not do that. What I tried to do at that time was just eat sensibly. So I was never a big sugar eater. I did use carbohydrates to to fuel my glycogen storages, but no, I didn't um, eat in that way. I thought it was weird to kind of eat that way, to be honest. So I learned more. Once I started learning more about biology and how the body works just in general, then I understand why people were choosing to eat six times a day, and that's to fuel up their glycogen storages so they don't crash, develop hypoglycemia, adrenal issues. And if you're reliant on carbohydrates, unfortunately, you have to eat six times a day, but not keto. But go ahead. We'll so talk answer. Talking about diet and mindset, do you think that people come to you? I know you work with clients. I know you are making these diets from the ketogenic diet. Do these people come to you with a hate, I hate my body syndrome, and how do you end up turning that around for them? Uh, everybody hates their body. <laughs> I know, just about, right? Yeah, everyone hates their body. So, you know, people, we're living in a society Essentially, we're living in a society where you're constantly taught that you're never good enough. You're not tall enough. You're not this enough. You're not that enough. It's really bizarre. So when you have people finding diets, they're looking for a quick fix. No one is patient enough to really understand the absolute changes or understanding that we are primal creatures living in a modern time. So our bodies are designed to live outside. So if we're living inside, there's going to be some hiccups. There's going to be some weird things going on since we're sort of going against the stream of nature. So yes, I've run up against people being unsatisfied with their physiques. And so therefore what they do is drastic measures. And then that's how they get into ketogenesis is because they hear you can lose massive amounts of weight really fast, but they don't understand that what they're actually losing in the beginning is muscle and water and not that much fat because they're not actually adapted. But because they see weight loss on a scale, they become hysterical about it. And it becomes a trend. Do you do you find a lot of holes in people's diets? Because what what's happened, I think, and and people will talk to me about their diet, and I'll say, and I can listen to them, and I'll say, hey, well, you might want to do this, or you might want to do this, and what they'll tell me is before that even comes out, where I start find out a little bit of their background is that, oh, I've tried everything. And it's like they start telling me, oh, I eat this and I eat this and I eat this. And I'm like, oh, well, you know what? You might want to eat this. Have you been able to find some holes in people's diets where they're saying that they tried everything and really they haven't tried everything? No one has tried everything. Uh, we're not evolved enough as a species to have tried everything. So when I hear people say that they've tried everything, it's just ludicrous. I mean, I don't say that to them, but that's obviously true. So I'm trying to educate them as to look beyond their scope of perception so they can actually see that there's so much more to learn on how they can optimize their health. I wanted to ask you this from a standpoint of just two different perspectives. The first one is for the athlete, the fitness person like you. And then the second one will might be for the casual person who just wants to lose weight. When it comes to the ketogenic diet, is it 
what word am I looking for here? Is it sub, is it sub, submit not submissive survive to say that you can build muscle on the ketogenic diet and that you can lose weight on the ketogenic diet? And what are the different aspects of that when you are looking to incorporate this into your lifestyle? Okay, if I put it into a context that once you are fully keto adapted and you train your brain to run on ketones, which are units of fat from your body, <clears throat> and this is goes in stages, and this only goes in stages to people who are incredibly disciplined and open enough to learn. So with that said, in stages, training your brain to break down units of fat from your body, develop the enzymes to convert body fat into ketone bodies that can be used, even that's a process. People think that you can adapt in six days because, you know, they have this idea that you're, you're, uh, um, you're, you are making ketones, which we can make ketones, but then the body doesn't use the ketones because it doesn't know how to. So you have to train the body to even know how to use the ketones. So with that said, if you do things in stages, then yes, optimally, you can gain muscle and be lame. You can burn the body fat. You can access that visceral fat that's dangerous. And um, yes, it can be done, but it must be done in particular phases and stages. And it's a lot of work. What are some of the pitfalls? Because obviously... There's somebody going to be someone out there who's going to try this diet and say, oh, the ketogenic diet doesn't work. Or there's someone who's going to be here who's listening to this, who's an athlete like myself and yourself, who's going to try it. And then they're going to say also that it doesn't work. So what are some of the pitfalls that you can tell those people to kind of look out for? Okay, so in a certain context, there are pitfalls and there are people, most people don't adapt. I'd only say it's about 5% that actually adapt. It's not actually the science that's the problem. It's people's application. So the pitfalls come from a lack of discipline and a lack of learning. It's jumping on the bandwagon as a trend. So I'm going to go through the pitfalls. It's not ketogenesis. It's not ketone bodies. It's none of the above. It is the application of this dietary and lifestyle protocol. That's the problem. So I just want to preface that so people understand, oh, keto is dangerous. No, the way you're doing it is dangerous. So the problem is, is that people are in a hurry to lose fat, to, to drop weight. So in that aspect, they go online, they hear about keto, they go online, and it's fitting their ego. Oh, I can eat a ton of cheese. I can um, eat a ton of fat. I can maybe drink a little bit of alcohol every once in a while. I can refeed on a little bit of carbs. I can keep my carbs around 50. These are all myths. They are untruths that you cannot do none of the above. You have to be incredibly careful for every single little thing that you stick in your mouth, as well as sleeping patterns, circadian rhythm, how you work out, how you breathe, how you walk, all of these like prior damage. So people don't consider the prior damage or the lifestyle constraints that they have that might conflict with keto. For example, I'm a night shift worker. You know, I'm not, but like, uh, uh, let's say as an example, I'm a night shift worker, I want to do keto. But your body needs to rest at night. That goes against the laws of nature. Rest at night, parasympathetic, get moving and exert and be catabolic and be in the sympathetic part of the day. So we are breaking down in the day and we are building up at night according to day-night cycles. 
So people will go, they'll be eating like Panda Express and really bad fast foods. <laughs> and then they just kind of drop their carbs and then they go to their night job and they just feel wrecked uh, trying to adapt. And the body doesn't want to adapt. The body wants to be addicted and, well, it is addicted. It wants to be dependent on the carbs, which it has been trained to utilize. So in the wild, we wouldn't have accessibility to starches. So we wouldn't be having potatoes and rice and wheat and we wouldn't be having candy and sugar and all this stuff. Uh So with that said, um, people don't, let's say, get rid of all those foods at first. So So the carbs might be too high. And if the brain senses too much blood sugar within the bloodstream, it doesn't want to produce ketones, ketones. And if it does produce ketones, it doesn't want to use them. It's like, why go to this new gasoline source of petrol for the car when I can, or like diesel, when I can just continue to use unleaded? Because you have to clear out all of the unleaded for the, the car now to use diesel. That's the problem. Number one is that people don't mind the, they, they're not looking at the quality of food that they're eating. So you got to cut out all of these starches if you're going to go full keto right away. Another pitfall is that people don't eat enough fat because they have this fear that they're going to get fat or have a heart attack. But let's be real. People are more concerned about getting fat on fat than having a heart attack. You're right. Yeah. Yes. yeah and I was going to ask you about that. How, how do you, if I could break in here a second, how do you get people over that? Because we vilified fat for a long time. How do you get people over that? Hey, you're not going to have a heart attack. Is that one of the things that you push it? Hey, if you eat more fat, you're going to lose more weight. How do you work with the mindset when it comes to that? Well, to be honest, I don't get a lot of fear of a heart attack. I get fear of getting fat. But there are people who are like, what about my cholesterol? Like they'll use that as the, the fear tool. First thing is I'll be like, I'm 50 and look at me. Yeah, you look you look awesome. You look awesome. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I'm not fishing, but in a sort of a context, I am in that sense that uh, I've been doing this for almost 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I am, if you literally look at me as he- healthy as Knox. So um, just on visual sense, because people who are lean tend to have dried out skin. They're very vascular. Their skin looks uh, heavy. They have blotchy skin. They have dark circles under the eyes. You can see when people are dieting as opposed to being healthy at a low body fat percent. So that's one thing. It's just like I tell them my story essentially. And because I'm so healthy and fit, it helps pacify them because I'm not a 28 year old girl doing this where they can say, but you're 28. I say, but I'm 50. And they go, okay, that's true. And then I try to explain that this is not genetics, but you've got brown skin. Well, it's not the skin color because you can also, you can also catabolize the, the um, collagen under your skin. You can also develop issues within your liver and kidneys that will appear on the face with inflammation. So um, uh, age is not, not always indicative of how many wrinkles you have, but also looking to somebody into somebody's eyes, the whites of their eyes, the, the, you know, their tongue, um, the skin quality. So people look at me and they go, okay, she is healthy. Okay, that's true. Uh, then uh, what I explain is this, and I explain this. This is the most layman terms way to get people to not be afraid of fat. I say to them, if you were to live outside, um, I say, well, how much carbohydrate would you be able to survive on? And they start going into things like broccoli, and I'm like, no, 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 no. First of all, broccoli is not a food. That's a genetically modified food that was made originally from cabbage. So we would not be eating cruciferous vegetables. So what would we be eating? They're like, I don't know. And I say, well, if you walk outside and just try to grab something green and stick it in your mouth, would you do that? Well, no, well, why not? Well, it might be poisonous. Exactly. 
most species of plants are going to be poisonous, unedible, because they want to survive. So the edible plants, you have to also be careful for their plant chemicals and also eating them out of season because they can wreck your body. So then I say to them, okay, so since plant source foods were not uh, plentiful, then what would you, what would give you sustenance? They're like, okay, hunting, yes. Okay, so what parts of the animal would they eat if they were to hunt big game? What parts of the, uh, of the animal would they eat first? And they're like, I don't know, the lean parts? And I'm like, no, because in lean, like chicken breast, there's no vitamins. It's just pure protein. So the vitamins and the minerals really come from the fatty bits of the animal. So I, I explained to them that we would eat eyes, tongue, right? We would eat organ meats like uh, liver and the kidneys, the heart. These are all the fattiest parts of the animal. But those are those are the sexy parts. No one wants to eat those parts. I remember my grandmother used to make us eat liver, and my cousin would put ketchup on it. And I would hate liver, but I knew my grandma would always say it was good for me. But everybody's gotten away from the organ meats and the fatty parts of the meat. So it's not sexy anymore to do that, and a lot of people don't even like eating those types of things. But go ahead. They're very influenced by somebody saying, ooh, that's gross. And yes. so when they eat it, their brain is already going like, ooh, that's gross because of an association. And also slaves ate the intestine, which are very, very good for you. If you're eating a high quality food, then the liver and the kidney and the, and the chitlins are all good for you. So I try to explain to people they, they, they would survive better if they had their fat soluble vitamins like vitamin D, E, A, and K, B12 zinc, magnesium, chromium, potassium, iron, these foods are rich in the fattier parts of the animal, so fatty proteins. And if you have too much chicken breast, you can develop kidney stones, kidney problems, uric acid, purines in lean meats that are hard on the kidneys. It's not normal in nature to drink a bunch of protein shakes and eat a bunch of chicken breast. So then they start to understand, oh, we eat the fattier parts of the animal. Yes, because there are more vitamins and minerals in the fattier parts of the animal and the organ meats than fruit and vegetables combined a hundred times. So there's a lot of life in these organ meats or the fattier parts of the animal, like the brain, for example. So not that we're gonna, not that we have to eat brain. And then I explained to them this. If you were to drop, let's say, melted butter on a kitchen floor in the summer, what's that texture and consistency going to be like after three days of that butter or oil on a kitchen floor? And they're like, slippery? Yes. Now, if I were to drop orange juice or soda, what would be the texture on that kitchen floor if you were to walk over it? Sticky. Yes. Now, that's what happens inside your arteries. Fat slides through the arteries. It doesn't stick to the arterial wall. It slides through. And sugar glycates. It sticks. It, it, um, it damages the protein lining of cells, makes cells stick together, and stick, stick, stick. You see? Plaque. And it also damages the, the low-density lipoprotein proteins in your body that take cholesterol back to the heart. So once I start explaining these concepts, they, they don't continue to fight me anymore. They kind of give in pretty quickly. So going back to this diet, the basis of this diet is to use more fat. And it makes sense to me because most of what we're made of in our body is fat. Our, 
our hormones need fat which when when you don't have enough fat everybody is you know you're you don't have a libido you don't really have anything but we are so afraid of fat but on this diet how much fat is too much fat because my own personal experience was I used to take coconut oil by the spoonfuls and what spoonfuls and one of the things that I would notice is that and I'm going to get a little bit personal here is my poop would float so, so how much fat is too much fat on this diet and then within that what are our carb restrictions how, how much are we going to limit the carbs okay so there is no limit to fat if you're having any issues with fat it's not the fat that's the problem it's your digestion so a healthy person would have no limit to fat and if you're having problem di problems digesting coconut oil, oil, which is very strange that it made your poop float, normally it's the caprylic acid. There's two types of fatty acids. Mm -hmm. uh, there's capric and caprylic acid, the MCTs, and they're hard to digest for a small population of people, and they tend to get loose stool and, and stomach cramping from eating too much coconut oil. Um, but if things are floating, you might have holes in your gut lining, and that's called leaky gut, and that could be to anything. So there is no restriction to fat. But what happens innately in humans is that the body knows when it's enough fat. If there's no psychosis or psych psychological issue, you know, fear, demonization of fat, then if you're just like, I'm not even going to pay attention to how much fat I'm eating, I'm just going to eat it as much as I can before I feel satisfied, then your body will tell you it's enough. So nobody's just going to have a bottomless pit of fat and just eat and eat and eat and eat. You get to a point where the, then the body's like, okay, that's enough because now I need the stomach acid, the enzymes, the peptides. I need uh, bile salts from the gallbladder to start breaking down this fat. And if you keep adding more in that I can break down, it's like the, the, the uh, assembly line gets backed up. You see? So the body, the brain will say, okay, no more. And then you can start digesting it. But there is no technical limit to fat only if you have leaky gut, low stomach acid or gallbladder problem. You, we talked about fatty meats and it seems like meat is the enemy now. What, if I'm vegan, can I, can I get in ketogenesis? Can I get on this diet if I'm a vegan? Nope. It's ridiculous. I don't talk about vegan veganism that much because people are like triggered and it's a headache dealing with people trying to argue nonsense with me. We are not designed to take supplements. That's ludicrous absolutely insane and I try to explain to people that if you were to live outside you'd only be able to eat plants in season at a particular growth stage so if you don't eat meat you're gonna starve period that's what these people don't understand you will starve okay that's it so you take the modern human and you make them vegan but they have to take supplements and if you have leaky gut those supplements are gonna be in your urine so you still may not be getting enough B12 or hemoglobin, right? Enough mm -hmm. iron. You may not be getting enough of the fat soluble vitamins and ultimately not enough of the complete essential amino acids to build everything. Gums, right? If people who are vegan for a long time, their gums, they start to have like oral issues and develop cataracts because essentially veganism is a, it is a, um, it's a, mainly a high carbohydrate diet it's an all-carbohydrate diet really hmm. right um unless you're eating coconut oil have you worked with anybody who's come out of veganism and you kind of cut because what i've noticed i've had a trend where i've interviewed a couple of people who were vegan at one point and their health went down the tubes and when they started eating meat 
and incorporating that back into the diet, they felt a lot more better. So my, I'm just interested in if you work with someone who's come from a, from veganism and had some, <clears throat> excuse me, some health issues, I'm able to get them back into a better place. Yeah. Uh, first of all, uh, two of my closest friends were strict vegan for over 15 years and both have massive health problems today, which they both had to stop their veganism. And one is still not honest about the fact that she started eating eggs. But then I've worked, oh, so many people. I mean, most people who are obsessed with weight loss have tried veganism at some point. Vegetarian, vegetarianism, but um, I would say 60, no 50, I'd say 50, 50% of everyone that I've ever worked with has, has tried veganism at one point, even if it's for a week, three months, year, two years, five years. And, um, they all, and there's never been a single person that was like, Oh, when I went back to meat, I just felt terrible. Now here's the misnomers, the, the misinformation, the reason why meat is villainized demonized um, is because people are eating processed meats. People are not eating pastured, free-range, fresh slaughtered animals. Yes, They're I was going to ask you about that, the quality of the meat. They'll continue talking. <laughs> yes, the quality of meat is absolute garbage. So the factory factory farming, the, fact to, the, the uh, commercialization of, of beef, so like red meat, cows eating corn like with steroids in them, horrible. Like of course you're gonna get cancer from that crap. So that's the first first thing that we get confused about. You see these articles, newspaper articles. Oh, meat is great for you. It's cancer, you know, fighting. Next articles, meat's gonna give you cancer. So we become very confused. Veganism is the way to go. No, veganism will kill you. So. We have to actually break down how we're designed to live outside and survive. And that's the first thing that's missing in the conversation. Now, vegans are like, yes, but we don't have canines. And I'm like, um, if you eat brains, you don't need canines to rip a brain apart. It's very smushy and mushy. Eyeballs, too. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then they'll be like, Oh, but, you know, humans have a long digestive tract and in the food, meat can putrefy in that long digestive tract. I'm like, yeah, I can. But we didn't eat raw meat, muscle meat. We ate fattier parts of the meat that don't oxidize as quickly, right? Fat does not oxidize. It doesn't get bacteria and mold on it as easily as other uh, lean meats. And so um, in this process of, of uh, people trying veganism, they always say that they didn't feel well, that they didn't have enough energy, that uh, the weight came off in the beginning and then it packed back on. They just didn't feel right. You know, a lot of women who menstruate, they lose iron and their hemoglobin and ferritin levels drop. Not getting enough of that in. Over time, people's B12 levels drop. Vitamin D levels drop. So these are the, the issues that have happened with most people. They, oh. The main thing that people say, to be honest, is I'm, I was always hungry. All vegans are like, I'm hungry. I tried it. I tried it one time, and I was like that too. I was like, this is this isn't for me because I could eat a house down if I was if I was vegan. I have to have something that really fills me up. Going back to being keto adapted, you mentioned that a couple of times while this has been going on. How am I going to know that I'm keto adapted, and how long will it would it take for me to be? that way to be honest I'd say give yourself a year and people freak out when I say that but I'm almost 10 years into this so 
that first year was like so long ago. The reason why I say give it a year is because your brain is conditioned to run on glucose. And as soon as we're born, we're introduced to sugar and baby food with sugar in it and all this garbage. And the brain becomes addicted to blood sugar or sugar itself. So when you drop your carbohydrates, there's a lot of hiccups. The brain's like, I'm sorry, um, can you bring back those carbs? Because I'm tired. And my glycogen, which is the gasoline in the muscle, for muscle contraction, my glycogen is depleted. And running on just pure blood sugar for the brain that doesn't makes me not feel energized enough. So that's the problem in the beginning is that people go through this thing called the keto flu because the brain is so used to using carbs as its main gasoline to drive the car that once you take those carbs out, the brain's like, I'm sorry, hello, bring my carbs back. And you're like, nope, we're going to start using ketones. Now, you're, some people immediately start making ketones, but the brain's like, well, I don't know what to do with that. I just want sugar. So what the brain will do is go into the body factory, start breaking down amino acids, which are proteins in your body and converting it into sugar to get enough blood sugar to fuel that brain. So this is why I tell people go get a glucometer so you can actually test where your blood sugar levels are at because if they are too high, you will not adapt. People are going by weight loss on a scale which is utterly and, and ridiculously subjective because you could be losing muscle and water and not even losing any fat whatsoever. I I wanted to ask you about that. Sorry, I wanted to interject, but I watched one of your videos and you said it was possible for the scale to go up, but you would still have more, uh, your body fat would go down, I want to say, if I remember correctly. Um, you're, the, you can gain, well, everything, if you're adapted, mm -hmm. the scale, you can gain more weight like I did because I just got so much more muscular. So if you go back to my videos like, I don't know, four or five years ago, you're going to see like six, seven years ago, you're going to see a woman who's much more tiny. And now I'm boom. <laughs> so that's how those, the weight can go up if you're adapted. Now you can have, you can gain weight trying to do keto and it's not actually the fat that's making you fat. It's the fact that you can't manage your insulin. So insulin is a hormone that makes things grow. One being muscle and two being fat. And if you cannot manage your stress or sleep or the correct macros or eat, eat too much protein or too little fat, the body will go into survival mode and start making sugar out of muscle. And so once that sugar starts to rise back up again, even if you haven't eaten one gram of carb, you can still have blood sugar so high that it's very similar to a diabetic. It's called physiological insulin resistance response blood sugar starts skyrocketing, that blood sugar is coming from your muscle. And when the blood sugar is high, the brain's like, insulin, let's start storing. So now you're eating a lot of fat, so you have fat in the blood. Now you have glucose in the blood, right? Let's store. The idea is that if you can keep your blood sugar low, then insulin will be low. There you don't have the hormone that stores things. So when you eat a lot of fat, insulin is not trying to drive the two molecules into a fat cell. So low blood sugar, high ketones, low insulin, you don't get fat on fat. In fact, you access fat as a restaurant to feed every cell in the body. But if you don't do the right protocols, you can actually start gaining weight on keto just purely on the brain like, I'm starving, I'm hungry, I'm starving, you drop my carbs, I'm not adapting, 
I'm going to crank up the blood sugar and I'm going to release a lot of insulin and just store whatever's in the blood at this point. Talking about the brain and just mental acuity, I had Amy Berger on maybe last year and she recommends a ketogenic diet for people who have Alzheimer's or any type of ailments when it comes to uh, the brain depression or whatever. Have you worked with those people and have you seen any results with, with just switching them to a ketogenic diet, people who may have been depressed or, or whatever? Well, everybody's depressed, so that's easy. <laughs> Yesterday, I worked with a woman who was on SSRIs, which are called serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Basically, they help to bring a false serotonin up into the brain to make you feel. So serotonin is the balance hormone and your serotonin levels drop when you're feeling depressed, you feel out of balance. And the problem is, is that the body becomes reliant on this chemical coming into the body and it becomes less and less, like it's less and less viable. These, these pills, the, the, what their, their job is to do is to balance serotonin that works less and less over time. The body's hip and smart. It's like, this isn't real. This is fake stuff. I want the real serotonin from a balanced lifestyle. So yes, most people are depressed because we are, we are primal mammals living in a modern time that doesn't fit with our, our need to live as humans. We are designed to constantly almost be dying every day, which is surviving either from being out in the cold or the heat or infection or starving. So we don't have to go through any of that anymore, but our bodies still think that we're outside when we're actually inside. And so we start developing stress, stress from environment, stress from toxins, stress from crappy eating, stress from never sleeping well. And this will affect your, your mental acuity and your well-being. And when it comes to people with Alzheimer's, dementia, uh, I've tried to get kids, uh, adult children of parents with Alzheimer's to do keto. Very difficult. And a lot of Alzheimer's patients actually crave sugar, which damages the cell, the whole glycation thing. I said before, when you spill juice on the floor, things glycate, including the brain cells, which then the brain cells die and the brain shrinks. My mother is the best case of somebody with a brain injury because of this glioblastoma that they cut out of her head. And it wasn't actually the removal of the tumor that was a problem. It was the inflammation from the removal of the tumor that damaged even more brain cells. So yes, if my mom, if, if she doesn't have enough butter and coconut oil, she'll start stuttering. And it's amazing within, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour, she downs, especially a lot of that coconut oil with the lauric acid in it, boom, stuttering goes away. So she's the best example of a, a ketogenic dietary protocol. Now, my mother's not adapted. People often wonder if she's adapted. My mom lives in Tennessee, so I cannot keep her on strict keto, living on her own at this juncture. But if you can get somebody who's got dementia or Alzheimer's or somebody with a brain injury to get their lifestyle onto a keto or a, a circadian rhythm and um, have the right uh, macros and be keep their stress down. Yeah, it's amazing for the brain. Ah, amazing, especially pig fat, pork. Amazing. Keto is amazing for the brain and and for the average person who's got ADD, ADHD, violent behavior, can't focus. Think about all that blood sugar. Think okay. In the wild, we would only have one teaspoon of carbohydrate every time we would eat something. Max teaspoon. That's five six carbs. In bread, there's 33, so you are already five times more carbohydrates than the, than the pancreas can handle with just one slice of bread. Imagine if you had a sandwich. 
and then you had some peanut butter and jelly in the middle, and then you you went you, you chased it with some juice. So uh, this damages brain cells fast. Glycation end product is what it's called. And the pancreas is like, yo, I cannot keep up with how much blood sugar is spiking. So I'm going to get, I'm getting tired and I'm going to be less viable. I'm going to start to be resistant, not do my job, job, which continues to elevate the blood sugar and damage the brain. So when people do a ketogenic protocol and the insulin drops, the blood sugar drops, then the insulin drops and the fat is high, the brain's like, yes, honey, yes, more. <laughs> So depression, uh, mood disorders, focus problems, ADD, children who cannot focus, normalizes. It's absolutely incredible to witness. And I think with everyone who's done keto long enough has experienced this type of affectation, this reaction. Absolutely. Let's talk about carbs. You talked a little bit about that, but I wanted you interviewed Tim Noakes, who is a low carb advocate. You went to South Africa, I believe, to interview him at that, at that point. Yeah, twice. I interviewed him twice, two different trips. What did you learn in that interview? Really about Tim's background, more about, I didn't learn anything about keto from him mm -hmm. because he is not strict keto. But we talked about his, him being a runner, pushing, eating gels and sugar when you do these long distance runs and wrote a book about it. And then switched over to a low-carb, high-fat over there. They call it the Banting diet, named after this man who uh, in South Africa who spoke very highly of dropping the carbs and upping the fat. So the other parts of the world, they call it low-carb, high-fat. Sweden is also a huge proponent of, they call it El Sehoef, which means low-carb, high-fat. And so he, we talked about his, the story with Tim was about him switching over from this, eat a lot of, you know, sugar and carbohydrates as a runner to, because uh, he developed diabetes, type 2 diabetes, and uh, from from stress and from eating poorly and, you know, grinding his body as a runner. We talked about him changing over to a low-carb, high-fat, more ketogenic uh, in its look, lifestyle, and how much that improved his health exponentially, and how he wanted to affect the poor Africans in Africa that are fed corn, garbage, they call it maize there, genetically modified corn, they make like bread out of it, and diabetes is run, running rampant within the African culture, Zulu nations and, and, and different African tribes in that part of South Africa that come from the exterior African countries, and how, what a tragedy it is, and how he's trying to bring awareness to dropping these, these starches, because they're so damaging to the body, and then we also spoke about the court case that he just won, and both times that I interviewed him, he was in the middle of a court case of the government trying to sue him for giving advice to do a low-carb, high-fat protocol from a, from a tweet. So that's what we spoke about. Yeah, I watched one of the, the interviews there, and I thought that was amazing that you went over there. to You've, you've done a lot of traveling. You went to Melbourne. <laughs> you went to Iceland. You've gone to South Africa. And these are all travels through what, through what you're doing now? Yeah, I mean, well, I went to Australia, did a three-city tour, was there for a month, went to South Africa twice. My first seminar was in South Africa. The second time I went there to write my book and also to interview Tim Noakes, I had a seminar in Stockholm, Stockholm, Sweden, and one in New York. And then I went and did one in, in Australia. And then I was like, I need to take a break to then write this book. But uh, most of my travels as of late have been because of doing seminars. But then like, when I was in Australia, I went off to Bali because 
I want it. And I was like, do I go to Bali or do I go to New Zealand? Do I go to Bali? And I was like, I want to be around poverty. I want to be around people, Hindus. I just wanted something culturally different because um, I love nature. So New Zealand would have been the naturist part, but Bali would have been nature too. So I ended up going to Bali. So some of my travels are because I really want to experience nature. So Iceland was a birthday present to myself because I knew that nobody or no one would treat myself as good as myself. So I took myself to Iceland and that was purely for the nature feeling like, oh, this is so amazing. And uh, yeah, so I've done a lot of traveling and I, I, am a, I, I was addicted before. Uh, before when I was living in Sweden, I went to Egypt and I went to Brazil and I went to Argentina and I went to Cuba and I went to Africa. I went to uh, Tanzania. So, um, uh, so it's been in my blood to travel. I lived in Europe for a long, long time and toured around Europe. And then when I moved back to the States, I just had no money to travel. Now that my life is back in balance, then I will probably travel across large waters twice, if not three times a year. Until I'm dead. Going back to the diet and talking about this, and talking about from an athletic standpoint, when you start adapting on this diet, am I going to have to adapt my workouts? Are my workouts going to change? Because I remember when watching one of your videos, you said you had the surgeries, you don't do squats because your knee is can't handle it. So, am I going to if I say, hey, Darren, I want to do this ketogenic diet? I'm not going to be able to lift as heavy or I'm going to have to change up my routine. How does that work? So, you know, before you ask me how long it would take to adapt, and that's like a question your audience will want to hear, but part of adapting faster is changing your workouts because anything that spikes your blood pressure, most of us do not sleep well. And the people that think, think that they sleep well, within 30 seconds I can prove that they don't sleep well. That's how we think that we're sleeping is always subjective because there are different levels of sleep and this correlates with your workout. So people have adrenal issues, they drink coffee, their blood sugar is all over the place because we grow up on carbs. Carbs over one teaspoon shoot your blood sugar up way high and then insulin's like danger and then it slams down too low and you're hypoglycemic and you get sleepy after eating a bowl of pasta and then the blood sugar's up and then it's down and then it's up and then it's down and the body, there's no balance. The body's like, stop, you're killing me. So if you're in that sugar up, sugar down, sugar up, sugar down, I need a nap, I'm tired, I'm wired at night, all of this, I'm tired in the morning, I'm hitting snooze. If you're going through any of those uh, reactions to just everyday life, then you add workouts on top of that and the body's like, are you kidding me? I'm tired. Like, when are you going to rest? You work, 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 work. Now you're on your cell phone. Now you're doing social media. Now you're trolling on the internet. Now you're watching TV. Can you just do nothing and meditate and just like focus on almost nothing, like one or two things. So because we're always lit, which is the intermittent fasting problem, we never can just rest while the body tries to repair. So people's workouts must be ramped down. Cannot do cardio. That's very adrenal driven because once your glycogen is depleted and you're not fully adapted, the brain's like, um, okay, you're really doing a lot of energy output and there's nothing in your gas tank. So if you don't stop, I'm going to start to burn muscle. So that's why I tell people do resistance training, body weight training, take breaks. Don't have your blood pressure run too high. Breathe properly through a ramped down workout. And once your body starts to develop glute 4 receptors and can uptake glucose and the adrenals aren't overfiring, your blood sugar doesn't run too high, then eventually you can start ramping back up your workouts 
by just monitoring yourself, right? You monitor, make sure that your blood sugar doesn't start freaking out, allow your body to adapt to force and stress, uh, exercise stress, and then your, your workouts can go back to a higher, more intense level once you're fully adapted. You, you talked about fasting just now, and I was watching one of your videos on fasting, and it seems like you have a different perspective of fasting. You said before you fast, you have to do something first. Talk about that. I realize I sound kind of like sarcastic and like sardonic and, you know, self-righteous. First of all, well, listeners, I'm 50, so I may look 30, <laughs> but I'm not 30. And when you go through, you know, rounds of walking around the bush in life, you are... Once you state an opinion, as you get older, you state it. Like, you're not loosey-goosey on it. And so I'm very much against fasting, not because it's my opinion. It's because it's the fact that these are this is just pure science. It's super easy to understand, and, and, and people who are proponents of fasting will agree with me that if you have adrenal insufficiencies, if you are vitamin D deficient, if your blood sugar runs high, if your sleep sucks right mm -hmm. if your sex hormones if your testosterone is low there's inflammation you have leaky gut then not eating when the brain is used to carbs is starving so why don't we just call it what it is anorexia so when people would you know drop their caloric intake and diet everyone's like oh my god that's so dangerous don't do that to your body but then when we put another title on it and call it intermittent fasting and it's all the rage. And biohacking is amazing. Fabulous. Oh my God, so wonderful. But we have to look at the fact that your brain doesn't know how to make ketones and use them. So if you haven't eaten all night long and you get up and start exerting energy, which requires gasoline to drive the car, it will access muscle, period. Because it doesn't know how to use ketones. Why does not anyone talk about this? You must be adapted. I'm not like yelling at you. I'm just, uh, the, the concept of it. I know. You must be adapted. You must be adapted because if you don't eat and you have adrenal insufficiency and your body's waiting for blood sugar and glycogen and you're not giving it to it, you don't need to have like liver and like kidney clearance through fasting. Just eat right. Your body is incredibly detoxifying and it will heal itself through meditation, through sleeping and breathing and fixing your posture and eating the right foods that aren't toxic. So forcing change, let's be honest, people intermittent fast because they're in a hurry to lose weight. And the more you are in a hurry to lose weight, the more you will not. You will lose weight on the scale, but you will lose your health with that. You have to look at not eating food from a biological standpoint. If you have these health problems, which we all do because we drink fluorinated water, which destroys our gut. And we've had antibiotics and we're on our social media and we're exposed to false light at night. The body's like, can you give me a break? I'm like, I'm really stressed out. And now you're not eating and you're going off to your job and going to exercise on top of this all. So I have no choice to start going into gluconeogenesis because I don't know how to, to convert fat into ketone bodies to be used as energy. And no one talks about this. And I don't know why are they completely delusional. Every single person that I've ever worked with, and the only reason I've come to this very strong opinion, this anecdotal opinion, is because of all the people that I've worked with who've done the HCG diet, who've done intermittent fasting, and they all have a rebound effect. And the beginning is like, oh my God, my blood sugar was so high, and then it dropped when I fasted. Yes, da-da, because... <laughs> Duh, 
because you're not eating carbohydrates. It's forcing your body to start making ketones, but your body doesn't know how to use them. So they end up in the toilet, which makes your adrenal glands have to start spiking adrenaline. So ultimately, after about 10 days to three weeks, it is a rebound effect. All of a sudden, the blood sugar is low. Now it's high. Now it's high. I just don't understand it. It's like before I got really, I got was perfectly in the ketogenic numbers when I was intermittent fasting, and I felt fantastic. Now it's really weird. It's getting really hot. I'm like, yeah, your brain figured out what you were trying to do, and that's cheat to get in ketosis faster. It doesn't work like that. And I've seen a rebound effect on everyone, and you must test your blood sugar all day because if you're like, I tested my blood sugar in the morning, and it was in a perfect range between 69 and 80 milligrams per deciliter, and I'm in ketosis, and fasting works, and I lost 10 pounds. Do you know how many emails I get like that? It's in, oh, it gives me a headache. Then when I question these people and ask how many times they dream, I ask if they test their blood sugar all day long. I ask if they've tested their blood sugar post-workout. They're like, no, I haven't done that. What about your ketones? Yeah, when I test my ketones at 7 p.m. at night, I'm like, you never test your ketones at night. It's only fasted in the morning. So there's a lot of subjectivity that mm -hmm. people, it's that placebo effect. Like, I really want to lose weight, so I'm not going to eat and I'm gonna call it intermittent fasting, then I'm gonna say that it's biohacking and it's making me live longer. No. Getting into foods, there's a rage, there has been a rage of putting butter in your coffee. A lot of people are using different type of condiments. You have, I know condiments made with stevia. Are those things something that you are recommending to your clients that you're working? Uh, no, I don't re recommend coffee. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm so anti-coffee. So then they wouldn't have to use stevia for coffee. Um, yes, yeah, stevia, I recommend no xylitol, no monk fruit, no cane sugar, no coconut sugar, sugar, sugar. So um, xylitol is a sugar alcohol, and it will spike your blood sugar, period, end of story. And to end this whole intermittent fasting thing, if you're going to intermittent fast, do nothing. If you don't want to break down muscle, lie the whole day and do nothing. That's the only way you can intermittent fast. I just wanted to throw that in there for, for the, the challengers of my theology. But with condiments, condiments, yes, stevia, pure stevia extract, if you have it with glycerol. Um, is Some people have an allergic reaction to it. It's probably about 1% of the population to have a histamine reaction to it. Most people do well. Some say, want to believe. I've never seen it in the glucose numbers that if you, if you eat stevia, it tricks the brain, the blood sugar starts to spike. I've never witnessed that, but it's possible, but highly doubtful based on my experience of working with thousands of people. Um, stevia is a green light, yes. Okay. Go back to that. Talk about histamine reactions because a lot of people don't understand that. And on top of that, you and I were talking about this before we, we started the interview, and I wanted to kind of get this in the interview. Uh, food, you know, food sensitivities. A lot of people have these things, and they don't really know that they have them. And they go and they start a diet, and they start eating the, the foods that will actually inflame them or won't work with the body. But talk about the histamine reaction and how that happens and then we'll kind of gravitate into the food issues. It's quite fascinating because you'll have holistic functional doctors that will talk about histamine intolerance, but you don't really find people connecting keto together with histamine intolerance. And so I started doing that. I had this one, well, people, some people just weren't adapting. And so you try to, I don't understand, I don't understand. Or you might have people who've got perfect glucometer numbers and they still feel tired. And I just didn't understand. So by working with a lot of people, I started figuring out things. So like one woman I work with early on, she was scratching during the consultation because I do Skype consultations. And uh, I was like, so do you mind me asking like, why are you scratching so much? She's like, oh, I've got eczema. It's all over my body. I've had it since I was born, blah, blah, blah. I've never lived a, an, uh, a life where one night I didn't scratch because she had scabs everywhere. And I was like, all right. 
you mind if I go do, do a little bit of research and then, you know, let's see what happens. She's like, yeah. And I was like, all right, cut out everything. I was like, get a pressure cooker and, and blast your vegetables. I said, try to have as fresh slaughtered meat as you can. Order it from this particular company. I said, uh, no fish, no cinnamon, no avocados, and um, no lemon. And uh, we did that. She said, she literally called me up crying, saying it was the first night that she had slept the whole night without scratch. And I was like, aha, interesting. So... I began to began to ask everyone about, do you get bloated when you eat? Do you get burpy? Are you farty? Are you constipated? Do you have loose stool? Do you have floating stool? Do you have skin issues? Do you have dandruff? Do you have like, you know, bad breath? Do you have like yeast? Inf- I'm going to keep it real. Do you have itchy butt? Do you have yeast infections? Do you have te- no- nail fungus? Um, do you get shingles? Do you have psoriasis? Like I went off the edge and everybody's got some peas bubbly or the stool is floating or they get gassy on this food and then I became hyper curious about what's causing that and essentially plants again have a defense they don't have teeth they will frack you up if you don't pay attention so a couple of things like one of course antibiotics is going to help kill the gut bacteria that helps your immune system. And then the gut wall, the intestinal walls become open with holes and compromised with foods like wheat, which the protein in the wheat, and people don't get it. Like we have genetically, we have bred, selectively bred, and hybridized these wheat, species of wheat from 10,000 years ago when it was a few chromosomes long to, you know, so many chromosomes long, over 40 chromosomes long of, of gluten which literally is like taking a machine gun and going to your gut. Some people are quickly more sensitive to wheat and some people are just look like crap as they get into their middle age and they never make that connection to the wheat. So wheat is the start, sometimes dairy also. That's the protein in milk. It's not the fat. It's the whey and casein that can also destroy the gut lining, the microvilli in the small intestine, and also create a similar reaction. You put those two together and be eating cheese. And also other things like lectins, plant chemicals can also compromise the gut lining, phytates in nuts, and just all types of plant defense can compromise the gut lining. And then you take antibiotics on top of that, and then you're drinking fluorinated, 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 fluorinated water and taking like pharmaceutical medications that mess your gut gut up and people become a hot mess. So people, everybody's got sensitivity to something and I can dig and find it. I can find it. And you know, some people just don't realize it's not normal to get gassy after you eat something or to feel really tired after you eat something. And if you're feeling a certain kind of way on salicylates, these are the chemicals in plants, uh, salicylates, oxalates, goitrogens, um, there are uh, solines, I think. There's there's so many plant chemicals that compromise the gut lining. Nightshades, which have lectins, which freak out the thyroid and the gut and this and that. So we're eating vegetables and grains and everything all out of season as well. So we're constantly being exposed to plant chemicals that do a job on our body. Some of these plant chemicals will rob your body of minerals and things like vitamin D, make it hard to reproduce, 
to be healthy, create inflammation in the body. And so if there's if your body's inflamed, you won't adapt. And so I really became very strict with people not eating nuts and not eating cheese or drinking coffee. That's a whole separate subject. But I, I would have people take away these foods to see if their blood values increased or their energy levels increased or their gut motility or their poop or whatever. And it improved with everyone. Yeah. yeah I, I used to work for a company and I would see no less than nine, 10 food sensitivities. That was, that was the minimum. The most I've ever seen is like 50. Yeah. Someone had 50 different food sensitivities, but the, the, the good thing is is that if you work with your gut and you heal your gut up, a lot of times we can reintroduce those foods. I have foods that I can't ever eat again. I just know that. So I just stay away from them. But there are some things that I work with where I reintroduce them. And there was some things that I reintroduced that immediately, once you, once you get the immune system back into health, because you're constantly putting those foods on the immune system and they're constantly fighting them. But when you take them off and you give the immune system a break and you eat something again, you be, you know instantly you're like, okay, this, this doesn't agree with me. But a lot of people, they've been, their immune system is constantly fighting because they're constantly eating the foods that they're, they're not supposed to be eating. So they never know. It isn't until they take, probably put, a, put some water on the fire and right. then reintroduce it, then they know. And it's exactly, in, yeah. exactly. You're exactly right, which is why I tell people, eliminate all this stuff, see what happens, and start reintroducing particular foods alone, like let's say eggs. Eat eggs with nothing else. And if you feel bloaty or gassy or tired or weird or itchy or anything or dandruff or whatever, then you know eggs are a problem. Do that with, with avocados. These are high histamine foods. Avocados, tomatoes, uh Berries have lectins in them, nuts have phytates in them, uh, spinach, these are all high histamine foods, citrus, uh, ashwagandha, like there's all types of things that can make your body react, fish, bacteria on foods, and a lot of it is uh, gut permeability, the walls are not strong, and when you strengthen those walls, you can reintroduce a lot of those foods back. Some of these foods are just permanent, permanently an adjutant to every human, like wheat, like dairy, uh, sometimes egg whites because it's to protect the fetus. You know, humans aren't supposed to be eating egg whites. And some people have a latex allergy. So latex, the avocados coming from the same tree, which is the sap, the latex. And we have to discern the difference between an allergy and a sensitivity. So if it's an allergy, you're done. You know, it's probably you're done. If it's a sensitivity, you could probably fix that gut lining and reintroduce those foods back in and live a very happy life. Yeah, and a lot of people don't even know you mentioned latex. I found this out when I was working in the lab that bananas, because they come from the same family. So if you, I would always get this weird little thing in the back of my throat whenever I um, ate, um, uh, touched something with latex and I never knew it. And then when I got tested, I found out I was sensitive to bananas. And then right. that made sense that, you know, whenever I use latex gloves or something, that little itchy feeling I got in the back of my throat was was related to that. So it made yes. a, a ton of sense. So when you find these things out about people and you you do digging, you kind of work your way around that to say, hey, you know what? Don't eat the eggs, but you might be able to eat this. That's what I'm going to assume. Yes. Well, what I do is, especially with the latex allergy, like you said, bananas and avocados, I'll tell them. Take it out completely for now. Just take it out because it's a problem. I mean, you're getting itchy in the throat. That's a big no-no. 
Um, what I with people who've got like the 50 different types of sensitivities, I'm like rotate. Uh, you want your body your immune system to fight off this uh, inflammatory response from uh, now your body doesn't like to eat anything but rotate the foods don't have a buildup of histamine from the mast cells so that's what I really tell people to do as a solution is to rotate foods either take something completely out or rotate if you're sensitive to everything and in that you should try to start healing the gut lining by getting five levels of REM state sleep uh, especially deep sleep into REM that's where your, your body will repair is when you sleep, go to bed early, do go by this circadian rhythm. You can use things like glutamine to help seal the gut lining, but really the gut will heal by itself if you rotate and keep out the most you know, provocative, annoying foods to the gut and really get your stress down and sleep well, your gut will heal on its own. If I'm going to start this diet and I'm really serious about doing it, what should my plate look like? As I know from watching one of your, your, your videos, you said that you can, you can eat meat, but you don't want to eat too much. Talk about just different guidelines. You said you could eat as much fat as you want. I remember that. But what am I looking at when it comes to my vegetables and what am I looking at when it comes to my my meat portions? Well, I'll even talk about the macro fats, like what kind of fats. Like I said, as long as your gallbladder is functioning properly and you have enough stomach acid and peptides and enzymes to break down fatty meats. Real, real quick before you get into that, I've noticed a lot of women have gallbladder issues. Have you come across that and how do you, you work with that? Because women are estrogen dominant. Too much est estrogen dominance can clog up the biliary and can clog the gallbladder up and create stones or create a gallbladder sludge. And that's why a lot of women have desk jobs. So they're sitting and they don't have enough circulation. So if your body's in a C shape and you have estrogen, dominance and you're eating a lot of high carbohydrate foods which is you know crisis glycation factor then people will start to develop stones or very sludgy gallbladder I mean uh, gallbladder salts or gall or, or the bile salts rather and so this happens to mostly women because of those two two those two things which is high estrogen and not enough circulation and poor sleep and stressing all the time but uh, I get a lot of people who've got gallbladder issues which is very true so if you're eating a high fat diet and you feel nauseous you don't feel well once the fat keeps climbing up upwards because I say to do a 200 uh, grams of fat minimum to, as to just to make the darn ketones if your fats are too low you don't make enough ketones and the brain's like I'm sorry you either need to go back to carbs or we need to up the fat because I need something to drive this car people find out that they have a gallbladder issue once they start up in the fats and they're like I feel awful I'm not hungry at all and I'm like well we have to consider your gallbladder or, or low stomach acid or both because if you're not digesting the fat you're gonna feel like crap so that would be a situation where you wouldn't be able to eat as much fat as possible that you desire and ooh, I sound like but um, <laughs> so when it comes to the fats, you want to eat primarily animal fats. You cannot adapt on coconut oil, olive oil, or MCT oil. Sorry, people. Your body likes what it is. It's mono, poly, and saturated fat. In animal fat, their fatty acid profile is more close to a human being. The body knows what it is. It does very, very well on animal fats, especially lard, and especially pork fat. And um, so you can use things like coconut oil, which has lauric acid, which is antibacterial, fungal, viral splits and breast milk for, to fight to help with the immune system, uh, which helps the body. It, also, it's a, a medium chain triglyceride, which can be broken down very quickly and into the bloodstream. So the body's not like, hello, gas tank's on empty. You're like, oh, but here's some coconut oil. It got into your bloodstream quickly instead of taking like a two or two and a half hour to digest a long chain fat like, you know, chicken skin or butter. Well, butter has a little bit of, uh, or lard has a little MCT in it. Um, you could do a little bit of coconut oil, but you can't adapt on it. You just can't. It's not It's not sustenance. It's not robust. It's not going to give you the fatty acid profile to pacify the body into making viable ketones. 
So it must come from animal fat. I say, you know, the amount of fat that you want to add in tablespoons should be at least 12 tablespoons, which would put you at about 167 to 170 grams of fat. We want to go over 200. So animal fats, avocados, if you don't have a latex, latex or histamine issue, these other fats can, or maybe macadamia nuts were the only nuts that I suggest because of the uh, lower levels of phytic acid plus it's a monounsaturated fat, which it's not a poly. Most nuts are poly, which is acidic, and a lot of nuts have carbohydrates and mold on them. Have a lot of phytic acid too. That's the main thing. But um, I would say that the protein must be moderate to low because in the wild it's feast or famine. They'd always go for the organ meats first, and what muscle meat was left over, they were in a feast mode. They would throw out to the dogs because they knew that it wasn't going to keep their immune system strong to just eat muscle meat. But of course, if they were in famine mode, they'd eat the whole dang animal. They're not being picky. But too much lean protein, as I said before, can upset uh, the kidneys. And so here's the whole idea of the reason why you don't need a lot of protein. Essentially, in nature, you wouldn't be like pounding protein shakes and eating a bunch of protein all day because that's making the digestive system plus the liver and kidneys overwork. So... Your body can only handle things in slow, small amounts. You eat something, you chew it, you eat it, the stomach goes to work, it gets to the small intestine, it goes to the bloodstream, it's partitioned off to cells to be used to fix the body and to give it energy. Now, if you eat too much protein, the body's like, I'm sorry, I can't chew, eat, and now you're drinking protein in a shake? Yo, I can't use all this protein. It's too much in one feeding. So what I cannot use, I will use for something else, which I will convert that excess protein that I can't digest and use it readily available, I will convert that protein back into sugar and 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 spike your blood sugar and store it as fat for later energy. So protein makes you fat. And when you when put too much protein, especially protein shakes, will spike your blood sugar. And if the blood sugar gets too high, the brain's like, why am I going to use ketones when there's blood sugar? So too much protein also spikes blood sugar. I've seen it with a gazillion people because... I work with people on a glucometer. You know, I'm not like licking my finger and putting it in the air and going, uh, no, too much protein. I'm going by their glucometer numbers plus how they feel. They're crashing still. If their blood sugar's too high because you have too much protein, you're going to get sleepy post-meal. People eat too much protein because they're afraid of eating fat. So they're like, oh my God, it's too much fat. So then the protein will go higher because they want to feel full. You can't feel full on vegetables. You should know that as an ex-vegan. You can't feel full on vegetables so the protein starts to be too much. And then they don't keto adapt because the blood sugar keeps spiking because excess protein turns into sugar. So the sugar, the blood, the protein must be moderate. Now people are afraid of losing muscle if the protein's too low. But what I try to explain to people is when your pancreas is working optimally and insulin is doing its job, you don't need a lot of protein to build muscle or to grow muscle. So you only need a little bit of insulin and a little bit of protein to do a massive job. So if you are stressed and sleep crappy and intermittent fast, you're going to be breaking down muscle to feed the brain, which is catabolic breakdown. You're losing muscle all the time. A ketogenic person doesn't lose muscle because when the gas tank is empty, the brain's like, "Woo, we got all this fat around the belly. Let's go have a lunch. It doesn't start breaking down protein to feed the brain. It starts breaking down fat and turning it into ketones. And so it leaves the muscle alone. It's muscle preservation. So that's one way you don't lose muscle once you're adapted. Also, when you work out, you will be somewhat catabolic, but a lot of people are hypercatabolic during workout because they're fasted, they're drinking protein. That's not enough to, to reestablish glycogen, people who eat carbs. So the body starts breaking down more protein. So people start eating more protein. Oh, I'm losing protein, so I'll eat more protein, right? Makes sense. And then they're like, well, the driver of protein into a muscle is insulin. 
Insulin makes things grow, fat cells and muscles. So now they start eating a lot of carbs because they want to spike their insulin to take that high insulin and take that lot of protein and start throwing stuff into the muscle cells so it'll grow. The problem is if your insulin's too high, it wears out. It doesn't perform. Then your blood sugar gets too high and you start storing fat. So guys get really bloaty look. They're big, but they're also fat looking. It's very difficult to have nice, bubbly, dense muscle and be lean. It's like you have to pick a side, but then ketogenesis came around and showed you that you can keep dense muscle and be lean because you don't have to have a lot of insulin. You develop insulin sensitivity, which means you only need a little bit of insulin and it does like a Superman hero job of taking whatever protein you did eat and placing it right into the muscle and you just grow and grow and grow. And that's so, why I 15 pounds of muscle in a year and a half doing keto and that's why I'm bigger now. With this insulin thing, it seems like insulin, insulin is behind, high insulin is behind uh, inflammation. And you see a lot of people who are suffering from a lot of autoimmune diseases, weight gain, which is, you know, inf inflammation. So what I'm gathering from you as hearing you talk about this stuff and, and insulin and, and the fat and, and being able to have the ketones is that if more people would incorporate a diet like this, then we wouldn't have this explosion of autoimmune disease. Or even if we have it now, which we do, more people would be able to kind of regain their health if they were to adapt a diet such as we're speaking about right now. Absolutely. I mean, for people who are, their, their body is so used to running on a glucose that they try to do keto too quickly and it creates more damage. For them, a low-carb, high-fat, like Tim Noakes is talking about, low-carb, high-fat dietary protocol could be advantageous or the whole paleo aspects. But I don't mean paleo with rice and beans. I mean paleo in the sense of eating um, vegetables in season and eating uh, enough fats, enough of the correct fats and fat protein, carbohydrate, and getting those nice mixture. For ketogenic people, it's next level. If you really want to heal your body, keto, ketogenesis, next level past just low carb, high fat or paleo, that's where you really repair damage very quickly is because at least with paleo or with paleo, you still are dependent on carbs. So you still have to eat sweet potato, Sweet potato, sweet potato, sweet potato, peasy pea. You know, you still have to constantly be eating every two hours or still develop things like hypoglycemia or lethargy. But once you're fully adapted, if you if your if your brain is hungry, it goes to the fat and it has a lunch. So your senses of hunger and tiredness go down exponentially because you always have this massive amount of fuel source on your body. So then when your body's not running on glucose, which damages cells, now those cells for the very first time can heal which typically are damaged cells that create autoimmunity. So all of those damaged cells can now heal. Yes! Blood sugar circulating every time the heart beats. Boom, 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 boom. Beat, 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 beat. When the heart beats, it's pushing blood sugar all around the body. And our bodies can only handle one teaspoon of carbs. Who, who's eaten one teaspoon value of carbohydrates? Five grams. So when people have these high-carbohydrate diets, if you've got lupus, if you've got... Uh, if, you, if you've got uh, multiple sclerosis, if you've got um, asthma or whatever, whatever autoimmunity, now these seal cells can heal without the absolute, you know, nasty creatures of sugar that just love to just kill and slap around and inflame cells. 
that's why it cures autoimmunity and diabetes is because when you're not running on all that blood sugar, those cells can now function properly without the nerve endings and the myelin sheath and the, and the, and the cells and the cancer cells dividing. It really, and in the endometriosis and the fibroid tumors can't grow because it's not running on that destructive glucose because we're only, we can only manage five grams and who can survive on five grams if you're not using ketones? You'll starve to death. So people continue to put these high starches and carbohydrates and sugars into their diet, which ironically makes you feel better, but then creates all this autoimmunity. So keto really is the answer, but it just takes a time to adapt because people have to start changing their lifestyle. They have to start going to bed earlier. They have to get into deep sleep. They have to eat on a circadian rhythm. If they have fasted, they need to rest and not exert energy. They have to find high-quality foods. They have to eat enough fat. They have to figure out they've got a gallbladder problem. They might have to graduate themselves slowly into keto for it to even work. And some people are like, ah, this is too much for me. I can't handle it. It's too much. And that's why people don't survive on keto. If you have a thyroid disorder, if you have Hashimoto's, if you've got hypothyroidism in your body, your T3 is too low or your, your thyroid-stimulating hormone is too high, you drop your carbs, and all of a sudden your thyroid symptoms get worse, it's not keto, it's that the fact that you might have done it too soon, it's the fact that your fats are too low, it's the fact that you can't manage your stress, the fact that your workouts are too hard and you're still fasting, it's the stress of doing keto the wrong way that would make your thyroid freak out when trying to do a ketogenic protocol. And then I would say to people, I'm sorry, your discipline isn't, isn't worthy, worthy enough, therefore we're gonna have to take you off of keto because now keto is creating too much damage. So we gotta go to between the lesser of two evils in this context and go back to carbs because you're not disciplined enough to do keto on you know, 20 net carbs per day. Yeah. So what I'm, what I'm getting from this, and this is gonna be my last question, is this keto thing actually makes you be more in tune with your body. It's not something that you can jump on. It's, as human beings, I think we're used to just jumping on something and just saying, hey, let me eat this portion of food or let me eat that. But to me, from this whole interview, what I'm gaining is this really gets you more intimate with your body and you really have to pay attention to what you're doing and the lifestyle that, that you're leading. Is that a correct assumption to, to make? Absolutely. It's a very correct assumption in the context that everything that you do in a day matters. Every breath you take, every movement, uh, motor movements, walking, sitting, um, every thought that runs through your mind and everything that you stick in your mouth matters. And people, their application, like people do the HCG diet and drop their calories down to 500 because they see instant results on the outside. And people intermittent fast because they see weight loss on the scale immediately, or they might see their blood sugar drop. And they're like, I'm ketogenic. Everything's great. I'm losing weight. I feel great. And then, then, uh, they have this sort of look, everything's great association. And then really they're actually waiting for the rebound effect for it to start damaging the body, but they don't, at that point, they're already convinced that it's so good for them. So I would say that, 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 that people are in a hurry to keto adapt. And that's why I say that keto goes in three month chunks that you have to iron out all of the wrinkles in the shirt. You can't still have four wrinkles left. You can't do keto like 88% and be like, well, isn't that good enough? No, it must be applied 100% or don't do it at all. 
done because it'll hurt you if you don't do it the right way. Uh, all out of questions. So, but this, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to say that this probably is one of the best interviews I've had this year. So I really thank you for that. And I think that the listeners are going to learn a lot listening to this interview uh, about ketogenesis. And actually, there's one more question I wanted to ask you. We see a lot of these diets that come out, paleo, now it's the ketogenic diet. What is, and, and what happens, I think, is that people tend to look at these diets and they say, oh, well, well, this is great. And people start having a lot of success with it. And then they'll say, you know what? Oh, well, you got to watch out for this. You got to watch out for this. What is your school of thought when people attack the ketogenic diet? Well, people are misinformed and nobody does it long enough to know. So everyone's confused, including the doctors. I've done this almost for 10 years with my net carbs at 20 carbs per day from only vegetables. I will not cheat. I've not cheated. I have not had a glass of wine. I have not had one drop of sugar on my tongue. And so if you don't go the distance and really track, journal, be your own scientist, experiment, then you won't have the data to prove anything. A lot of these doctors study other doctors' work or they'll study their studies. And keto just hasn't been done long enough because it's very expensive to do a double-blind study. So you're getting these observational studies and it's just a lot of these doctors don't factor in histamine intolerance. They don't factor in gallbladder issues. They don't factor in leptin resistance. They don't factor in how you sleep at night. They don't factor what your sex hormones look like. You know, if you argue with your spouse, if you've got kids, like they don't factor these things. It's very, very subjective studies that they do there that has been proven in a lab that your body can run on ketones. Obviously, the Inuit and, and, and tribes like the Maasai have proven that they can eat nothing but fat and survive fat and meat. So there are dangers and people have a right to feel that there's dangers because you're going to find all these people eating cheese and nuts and drinking coffee and doing the bulletproof garbage and intermittent fasting and training too hard or not training at all, getting bed too late or not getting enough deep REM cycles where they think they are, but they're really not. And they're not really going the mile to get out of their comfort zone to make exponential changes to improve their entire life, including how they think and how they breathe and how they self-perceive themselves. There's not enough self-love and there's not enough, there's too many distractions and not enough meditation to clear out the madness in your mind. And so when people want things too quickly, you don't adapt. And when you don't adapt, you can, you can blow out your thyroid, you can blow out your adrenals, you can drop your sex hormones, you can create more inflammation within the body. And it can be quite, develop hypoglycemia. You can have a physiological insulin resistance response and have your blood sugar up, shoot up too high. And you can damage the body by doing this wrong, by going online, listening to all this conflicting garbage because people don't want to talk about if your poop is floating or if your pee is bubbly because that's not internet sexy. You know what's internet sexy? This is my before picture. This is me 60 pounds lighter on keto. Shablam! Magic! <laughs> that's problem people don't want to talk about these things it's like oh who wants to talk about if i'm gassy all the time or if i got a little itch in the back of my throat give me the dang cheese i'm hungry it's got a dopamine effect and makes me high that's the problem food is an addiction food is entertainment so for people to have to live in their reality as a monk which i try to explain to people i've been to poor countries where people have three four choices of food maximum What's difficult is not that the fact that you have to do keto in it, in its entirety of quasi-strictness, where people, not quasi-people, consider it strict. It's the fact that nothing is hard. What's hard is poverty, right? 
illness is difficult, poverty is hard, is difficult, but not becoming a real keto. There's no such thing as variants of keto. You either adapt or you don't. And if you don't adapt, you still are dependent on carbohydrates. When people start saying keto, 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 and I sound like such a jerk, but you know, I had this earlier podcast and I asked about their perception of me before having this interview. And they said, well, you kind of come across as a hard ass. And I said, well, isn't that ironic? Because my first videos, I came across too much as a silly ass. And it's like nobody's, you know, no one really understands who I truly am and what I'm actually trying to achieve. I don't put, I haven't monetized my videos. I don't really care. If I really wanted to make a lot of money, I would say follow Steph's keto program and you can have my body in, in 90 days if you follow this weight, uh, weight loss strategy. I mean, I would be make money hand over foot because I tell people what they want to hear. But my biggest fear is that I will hurt people in my narcissistic venture to make money. So I'd rather make less money and educate people and enjoy watching the stories of people saying, this and that improved Stephanie because I didn't listen to the minutia madness out there. I decided to do it the real way, a real ketogenic way and really become uh, disciplined. And now all these inflammatory markers went down and I feel better and, and whatnot. So my whole vision is to, to educate people how to do this the right way so they can actually get the benefits that I've gotten from this, that my mother has gotten from this. And uh, the people that I've worked with who are successful have gotten from this. And so when it comes to it damaging your body, yes, it's going to damage your body. But learn why. Don't believe the hype. Don't believe everything I say. Do your own research, people. That's the biggest problem. Don't just read a book and go, oh, that's, that's, that, that's truth. I'm writing a book right now. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. When, when is your book coming out? Because we'll have to have you back on when your book comes out. You might, I might have to wait in line once the book comes out. <laughs> well, we'll see because, you know, what I do is I don't tell people. I'm not internet sexy. I don't tell people what they want to hear. So if people are pumping out books saying, yeah, you can have wine and you can have nuts and you can have cheese and you can drink alcohol and caffeine, they're going to buy that book because that book's telling them what they want to hear. And, uh, you know, my book is for the people who are like, all right, I tried this other way. It didn't work. I want to try Steph's way or no, sh this girl makes sense. Look, she, I, my guts, I don't have adrenal fatigue. Why am I telling, teaching people to be careful? I don't have to ramp down my workouts. I can eat all types of food and not have a histamine response. So why would I tell people to do the opposite of what I can actually, my carbs can be quite high. My protein can be high. I learned this through people. So Initially, I was going to write a simple book, an intro introductory book, and then create a series of books, slowly educating people on this to, as to not overwhelm them with too much garbled information, which all these stupid keto books have, not putting down anybody, but I'm sorry. They're not doing their due diligence to figure out all of these little nuances like you know, latex allergies or gag responses on fat and all this kind of stuff. So now my book, now that all these... Horrible books have come out with little tiny nuggets of information. And not every book, every book is horrible, but there are some, and I, I shall remain nameless at this point. But, um, and this is not attacking people's characters. This is just information because I'm very worried about people getting sick doing keto. And then nobody wants to do it because you have all these stories of everybody getting sick on it or have their hair loss and thyroid problems and whatnot. So um, my book was supposed to be finished by now. But I asked for an extension because now I have to write a more 
extensive book with more information, which I don't want to do right now. But if I want a book to compete with all of these, this garbage, I've got to work harder to explain things that seem fuzzy. Like, can an athlete do keto? What happens if I do do CrossFit or powerlifting? Can I not work out at all and still adapt? My back hurts. Um, what if I gag on this food or that food? What if I eat too much coconut oil and my poop floats? I'm going to give those answers that people don't explain. What about pregnancy? What about, you know, if I've got hypoglycemia and every time I do keto, I feel horrible? Or what about my heart palpitations and, and my acid reflux and, and all this stuff that happens when I try keto? I'm going to try to fill in those gaps. These aren't se- sexy subjects, but I'm trying to fill in those gaps so people, when they, when they choose a book, they're like, oh, this is comprehensive. It's simplified. This girl speaks the language I understand. And I get it now. So... I can't tell you when the book's going to be out because I just don't know. Okay. Well. I, know, I know the new turnaround turn-in date, but I'll never say that date because if it gets extended again, then I'll have, be shooting myself if people are like, well, I thought it was supposed to be out by now. But I can say I want it to be out in my 50th year, which is 2018, before September. It must be out in books and hopefully by audio by before I turn 51. When is your birthday? What month? September. You're a Virgo? I'm, I'm a Virgo. Virgo. I'm a Virgo too. Yeah, what's your, what's the date? I'm not gonna say it on air. I'll tell you yeah, off air. <laughs> I'll tell you off air, but yeah, I do I kinda stay well, you said September. I was like, That's her birthday, she's a Virgo. All my good friends are Virgos. It's it's oh. crazy. Yeah. But um if people want to work with you, how do they start working with you? Where what's your website? Um, my website's stephanieperson.com, and the reason I put an um in front of my sentence is because I've actually uh, created only select dates for consultations, so I have more time to write the book. I used to do month-to-month coaching every week. People would uh, – I was doing so much, I was killing myself. So now it's select dates. So when I open up my calendar for more open dates for consultations, it gets booked up like in two days. So – I I tell people, uh, look at the calendar, see when the last date is, like the last booking date, and at at, at that date is probably when I'll open up that calendar again around that time. So you check around that time, and that's when people get the consultation booking in. I also created a Facebook keto course because I get emailed in the inbox with all my social media at least two to 300 times a day with questions. And I'm like, I can't get to everybody. I used to, but now I can't. And so sometimes people ask answer, ask a question, and I won't answer it because I know it'll be followed with five more questions. I can't tell people only one question and make it only two sentences. You know, so now I just don't even bother. And I say, go to my course page. There, it's structured like this. And it's very simple. Three days out of the week, I create subjects. It can be anything that we spoke about today. It can be latex allergies to histamine intolerance to what my macro should be. You know, how long will it take me to adapt to the the level of exertion in my workouts? And then we all discuss together. I don't like when people vomit a bunch of opinions on a wall. It's confusing. People, somebody be like, I lost, I lost 60 pounds in keto on keto in two and a half months. And then the other, you know, everybody else is like, how'd you do it? How'd you do it? And they don't know that he actually damaged his metabolism by doing that. So I don't like those type of face or those private uh, groups. I do a course. So 
I, I present, uh, I, I will either comment or I will pose a question and I want everybody to chime in on one subject and then I will either correct or answer people's questions. So if people have a question, I'll answer it. I'll go in there and write in what the answer should be. And then I have one recipe sharing day because people are like, I want to eat more recipes. So I do one recipe sharing day where you, I encourage people to ask for recipes and like for traveling or snacks or kids or families or whatever for work. Um, ask for ideas and also to post their ideas. And then Friday, Saturday, and Sunday are the open topic days. So I allow three days of just ask and say whatever you want as long as it's not ridiculous. And uh, I try to answer every single question over the weekend. So I will be answering questions tonight, Saturday, and Sunday and writing my book. Cool. So, And I also do live broadcasts. So there I guest people and I do like little mini consultations for the members. It's a sub monthly subscription. It's $15 a month. You can quit the membership at any time. So if you just want to do one month and spend 15 bucks, you can do that. Or you can keep letting it go and keep learning things. And then I do live Q&As where people can ask me questions live. And I'll guess people who want little mini consultations that come with the sub subscription. Stephanie Keto, this has been fire. I really thank you for coming on. Like I said, this has been one of the best interviews this year. So I really thank you for coming on. I'm glad we, we connected. Yeah, thank you, Darren. I really appreciate it. You're good people. All right. Thank you.